Live from the apocalypse with probiotic supplements for your ear holes. This is State of the Game. Uh, I am your your host, your persnickety host, Dano. I don't get to say that. Um, and I, I am sex positive because the other options suck, right? <laughs> That's it. That's all, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm a political person. This just, the other options suck. So, um. So, and I am joined every week uh, by a gentleman, an old school gentleman who takes his, his coffee and his morning paper in the main mall uh, every day. <laughs> so, hey, Diggy, thank you for being here and joining me. Man. You know, uh, I'm always fascinated by the main mall's opening hours, like when it opens the doors. <laughs> like who's reading the morning paper? And, and eating Panda Express. It's a, it's a good morning walk, you know what I mean? Just the kids are kids are out of the way. Amazing. So. Amazing. <laughs> I want to be in that life at some point. But we are lucky enough to have oh, like a media industry juggernaut here. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, who's, who's run with all the biggest, most interesting people uh, and a monster. Just in terms of editing, writing, uh, organizing work, uh, someone that I, I just desperately wanted to talk to. Okay, we are we're on a mission here, state of the game, to talk about music from different angles, right? Mm -hmm. So we've had super fans on here to talk about their album, right? We've had, you know, producers and mixing engineers, and so this is, is one of the missing pieces, right? Uh, Jade Gomez, incredible journalist, a real journalist. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited about to have you. Thank you for being here. As opposed to a fake one. Thank you for having yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> right? So people will come up to me and be like, are you a journalist? And I'm like, no, I am a blogger. I identify as a blogger. <laughs> Like, I, I still know exactly how I feel about that. I know some people are a lot harder on the term than I am, but I'm like, as long as you love it, yeah. And you, I can't be too mad. To me, it's about the stakes at hand. Like, if you're a journalist, yeah. you're like, like a nomadic samurai. You know, you're just like living yeah. from, you know, whatever. Like, waiting for Rolling Stone to pay you to go to the next one to go to the. I mean, that well, life is insane. There's, there's a code of conduct. It's the absolute worst thing ever, too. I haven't had to freelance in two years so now getting back into it while all this is happening has sucked so apocalyptic is taking on multiple meanings on this wonderful morning yeah no, it's, rather it's, it's a lot but i and it's i guess i didn't know how much i cared about it when i got in uh but i did um and i've, I've been super excited to talk to you about the state of the game so to speak um and and how you are feeling about where things are. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, you. So you were most recently you were like editor in chief, uh, or was, am I wrong? You were editor, news editor of the news editor, editor. not editor in chief, <laughs> news editor for uh, paper magazine, which has suddenly closed its doors and has left like. 
every everything you did kind of ever all the plans gone uh i mean that's got to be something to recover from how are you how are you feeling at this point it's been it's been a mixture of emotions like i i'm really grateful for my time there and i feel like it was something that was bound to happen and i probably wouldn't have gone on a journey to advocate for myself and really explore my other options sooner because I was comfortable. I, I was already starting to feel rumblings just within myself of thinking I might want to, if not change paths, then advocate for myself in some way to be properly credited and compensated for things that I was doing. And I think it um, that job definitely helped me unlock um, a bunch of different skills that I didn't even know I possessed. But... I, I, it, I, everybody was taken aback when the layoffs happened, and I still remember how it felt for everybody. Um, just seeing everybody go from like being all happy. I had so many different plans. I was reaching out about features and premieres. We were going to do shoots. To suddenly having to then email people an hour later, say sorry, scratch that, cancel it, and not be able to give them in an answer as to why because we didn't know how us as a company were would go through would go through the whole entire process of informing people who's going to make the statement first if people are going to get mad but then again at the same time so what are they, they going to do fire us when they already kind of did so <laughs> that so you know it's been i've been going through like the stages of grief over the past it's going to be a month. It's already been like a month and a half, basically. But I've been going through the stages of grief. And, you know, different feelings always pop up as I start to realize, like, as more publications shut down. It's both, in a dark way, reassuring. Because it's like, there's there's other people who are who understand what i'm going through although it's really sad because there's so many hardworking, talented amazing people that are now out of a job right. um and it's due to a lot of things especially like the whole economy right now and in a way it's very reassuring having other people in my corner who know what's happening or have similar fears and we're working through it together but then also at the same time, it is really disheartening because if I ever want a job again, it I need these places to be open. And right. less places are hiring and the places that are hiring, it's a lot stricter or they aren't able to meet the salary requirements that some people may desire because a lot of these places don't have money anymore and they're kind of operating off of just the pure love of it or just the few measly advertising dollars that are there. So it's been, it's been a lot to deal with. I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to stay optimistic. I do know that something's coming. I just don't know when, but obviously as the days pass, I start to become more and more negative about it sometimes. Right. I'm trying to keep that up though. Well, yeah. I mean, that is, that is a lot. I mean, the, so, and that was what I was going to ask you was, the world of music criticism seems to have a real capital problem. How do we keep these places alive? Where does the cash come from to keep circulating? 
it really depends because so at least in the case of I've worked everywhere from like smaller mag from a smaller magazine I was at previously at Paste Magazine going to paper which people would assume had a larger budget than we did. We had photo shoots and all that stuff. But I don't think people realized how advertising dollars and their power has certainly changed. And I think people don't realize that it doesn't matter how much you go on a website, <clears throat> at the end of the day, the people that used to be willing to shell out big bucks for ads or sponsorships and stuff don't have that money anymore. Be, we're all in a bad spot. Or if they do, they'd rather put that into what seemingly has more of a return now, um, whether that be like paying a TikToker. It's easier to pay a TikToker 200 bucks or a thousand, two thousand dollars than taking out a ten thousand dollar ad budget. Um, so I think that's definitely a big thing. One thing that I think a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people know, but one thing that definitely helps a lot, obviously, is if you see a website and you like the website, stay on the page a little bit longer. That's mm. why, for example, at Paper, I did this, um, or at Paste, we did something similar. We'd insert ads as the piece was going on or related links because yeah. what shows up really well in analytics and is good for advertisers to see is page time. And I always explain to people, you know, you see so many articles, they might have a hundred thousand views in one day, but the retention rate is really, really low because some of those people, after they read that one thing, they leave or they read just the first pay yeah. for, for the first paragraph and leave or they just quickly scroll say oh you know what i don't like it there's no pictures maybe or so they leave mm -hmm. and i say one really valuable thing is actually reading stuff staying on the page a little bit longer it and it depends on the analytics but some places even count like do you actually scroll down the page not just like leaving it on because you could just then just leave an auto clicker refresh it no count as a page view um Clicking other links if you see something that's interesting. Um, and then I also think it's really... I've had mixed feelings about this, but as time has gone on, especially thinking about... Because um, LA Times just today announced that they're going to be laying off people too. Ooh. I don't know how much of a stash, staff cut, but it's going to be a decent amount. And yeah. one of my friends, Susie Esposito did a made, made a tweet about it saying stop asking me for free articles because they're they have a paywall and for places that do have a paywall i do have mixed feelings about that whole entire model and i feel like essential coverage such as for example the new york times talking about covid or certain very important political stuff should not be left behind a paywall even though you can find it somewhere else but I do think that if people do have the money to be able to support the websites that they love in a certain way, I believe StereoGum implemented that policy. And I th and more places are having Patreons or memberships or Discords. And I think that's really, and I think that's really key. I, I don't really know because obviously like the goalposts keep changing and yeah. the power of the advertising and all this stuff is constantly changing 
But I think the most important thing, too, is not even just to support the publications itself, but look at the people who are writing things and, you know, follow them on Twitter, follow them on Instagram, keep up with them. And so that if something happens, you can follow them somewhere else. And, you know, obviously, eventually, as people start to see that there's that track record where people are willing to read and listen to somebody's work, you know, they can hopefully have a little bit more stability. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, and it goes back to, I don't know, goes back to what my boss told me when I was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. He said, uh, every customer that has a bad experience tells 10 people and everyone yep. that has a good experience tells five or less, you know? Uh, but it, we need to reverse kind of our mind state. Whereas I think at this point, Certainly Twitter and a lot of social media operates on, I read this review, it made me mad, this guy's an idiot, right? Yep. Uh, this person's dumb and I don't like them. Whereas they, you read an article, a review you do like, you may not even register who wrote it, you know? Uh, whereas I think everybody needs to do a better job minding the good writing, right? That was a good one. I like Alphonse Pierre. I'm going to follow you know i'm gonna you know do the whole thing whatever and so you can you can have a good working understanding of the area um you can find people's tastes that you understand and that understand what you want um and you could be actively supporting someone who's good at what they do and creative yeah definitely and then also going off of that i feel like we need to also start I mean it's it's on the it's on the onus um it's on the onus of both the publications and the readers too because I do feel like that outrage journalism always does better obviously especially when it comes to music reviews and I've seen that more and more and it really annoys me where people aren't able to look at things from a critical lens and they see something that's bad and automatically think it's an attack on them rather than another way to engage with with art um, and make them like it more or be able to interrogate it more. And then also at the same time, I think a lot of publications need to understand how, understand the behaviors of people, especially when it comes to music. Because I I think the biggest thing um, as somebody who's been covering music and who's worked behind the scenes for a while and who has dealt with the whole dreaded traffic thing obviously some places like pitchfork they'll always do well um because they have a built-in audience that already knows and trusts them but you know thinking about let's say forbes for example forbes does well but yeah. i don't know if their music coverage necessarily does too hot yeah. um unless it's like a really big artist because that's not what the people their built-in audience necessarily goes for so that that doesn't necessarily mean that we that these publications shouldn't invest money into that to create that audience and that community but i also think it also means to manage expectations and stuff i feel i've gotten a lot i've had a lot more of a better i've had a better understanding of how all that stuff works behind the scenes from an analytics point of view and really being able to see how the perceptions of people um 
how the perceptions of the publication based on I cannot talk today. Um, the mm -hmm. perceptions of the publication from the audience itself can impact those sorts of things. Even when I was at Pace, even though it started out as an OG music magazine, the biggest issue that we dealt with constantly was how people consume music. Right. You can't go every single week, like when you're curled up in bed, you could look up what are the best movies on Netflix now, and you'll be able to find that. And we were always one of the top. But you can't really do that for albums. I feel like the way that people consume music, especially with streaming and how big and crazy and vast it is, and most people are passive listeners, which there's nothing wrong with. Sure. And so we would not get nearly as much of that traffic because of it. Most people don't read album reviews. Most people don't read live, read live show reviews. Most people won't look at festival coverage, all that sort of stuff. And most people won't read an interview with a musician unless it's a really, they're a fan of the musician or it's a really big thing or there's some sensational story behind it. And I think a lot of people need to understand that. And sadly, you could love something so much as I have and also realize that that love isn't always going to be able to sustain you or what you are where you're working because you know it's you're also largely dependent on the powers that be and oftentimes that's the audience right yeah i have a question nihilistic. <laughs> no it was great it was a lot no that was, was fantastic yeah. it how do you how do i explain this how how do you feel like the role or responsibilities of a music critic have evolved over the past decade? Ooh. I feel like it's... So a couple a couple weeks ago, I went... I had dinner with IDK. And he said something that my friend did not like very much, but I totally agreed with, where he said, I don't need magazines. You Ooh. need me. And I think there's definitely that mutually beneficial relationship. So I necessarily entirely agree with it. But in some ways, he is right. Especially when you think about music criticism. For example, most places now don't really have a resident critic. Back then, in the 80s and the 90s, there was always that one resident critic who was always had all the CDs, all the promos and stuff on his desk and was listening to everything and was writing criticism, whether it be like a small blurb in the source or and village voice or like longer stuff. Wow. We don't really have that nowadays. We have critics that do amazing work and people recognize them for their criticism and for their writing. But I feel like as we've had more autonomy, we don't need these things. And people don't need these things anymore. People don't rely on those things. Before, if you wanted to find out what happened to a musician, you would wait until they made an interview or they went on Jay Leno or whatever, tune in, and maybe they'll say, oh, by the way, I have a new album coming out. Now all they have to do is tweet it. Before that in information, whether it be not even just for criticism, but for everything, would be through a specific channel. The artist couldn't directly go to the people. 
They could, but it might just be taking an ad out in a magazine or something. So you would still have to seek it out and find it. And obviously with the internet that has changed and artists have taken things into their own hands. Obviously people have like relied much less on the radio to find the next best thing that they're looking for. Cause now they could just yep. Google what's this do and what is the a cool pop album right now? Listen to it, say, Oh my God, I'm the biggest fan now. And also because of that, I think music critics in some way, <coughs> I think now more than ever are, I think nowadays are designed, at least the way that I have approached it, to add context to a record. Because oh. I know at the end of the day, if I review something, it doesn't matter what it is, people are still going to have their own opinions on it. And because of how the internet works, they will still feel either offended if I don't like it, or they will be happy if I do, or they'll find, and it will just confirm what they believe, even though half of the people just straight up won't listen to it. There are like so many albums I've list I've loved over the past couple years. I haven't read a single review because I don't need to. I've already formed my own opinion on it. Why do I need to know somebody else's? Mm. And that's how I think most people operate. But I think that now more than ever, we are a contextual aid to help tell the story of the landscape, pinpoint certain influences and things and movements that we hear using our knowledge and vocabulary that we believe helped influence a record. And yeah, as opposed to back then where you were both doing that, but also there was more of an authority behind it because there was a lot less to go off of. So that when mm. you were opening a magazine, you were doing that for the sole purpose of finding what you love now. Now I feel like with how the internet and everything has worked, we just want val we we just want validation for the stuff that we already know that we love. Yeah. No, and I have a long esoteric <laughs> question that feeds into that. Uh, I was so I'm gonna go get a drink really quick. Oh my god, hold on. Do it, do it. Get a drink. Okay, hit me. Okay. As someone who listens to so much music every day, I had to recondition my brain to be as excited for a release by someone I didn't know as someone I already love. Um, that was the only way I could pursue new artists as vigorously as I wanted. Um, do you see that as the function of music criticism to act as an advisor to a busy music fan who needs a map? Or is it more complicated? I think that's definitely part of it. Because I feel like the people that, like you said, busy music fans. Yep. There are so many people I know who are like ravenous about that. And they're obsessive in the way they listen to everything. And they, or they browse all the websites, find what has a good review. Or find this new interview and say, okay, you know what? I'll check them out really quick. Not everybody operates like that. I think it takes a special type of person. But I do definitely see, um, as music writers and critics, journalists, whatever you want to call it, should definitely, sorry, it says smoke in the air. God, yeah. it's seeping into my yeah. house. That's not good. Yeah. Um, but I think, I do definitely see that, like, setting 
creating a roadmap for people. And I think, as you said, like developing these relationships with writers that you like over time, which is why I always tell people, check who wrote something, because you never know if they work within a niche or um, have similar taste to you or something. And I think that's definitely a way for people to be able to find other things that they love and can be excited about because it definitely does get really hard to get excited about things nowadays because there's so much coming at you. And that's something that I deal with a lot. And there's that real burnout that you have when you work within music. When I was at Paste, because not everybody does this. I think Paste is one of the remaining that actually did this, but it was just me and my editor. Um, and every Thursday, we would gather up every single um, every single song that we wrote about throughout the week. In addition to more songs that we found our press releases, adding more stuff up until the last minute, and listening to literally every single one, one, two, or maybe three times. We would start Wednesday night and go into Thursday. Sometimes something would come in on Thursday morning. We'd say, "Shit, let's add this because we love it so much." But we'd listen to everything, and we were listening to upwards of at least. 50 to 100 songs a week sometimes and then the next day we would have to do it all over again but this time full albums we'd sometimes skim them or mm -hmm. we'd, be, we'd delegate like this we don't like it but we could tell based on our audience response or yep. cultural response that this is necessary so we need to include it on the albums you must hear but otherwise you were listening to about 30 40 albums a week as well and not many people do that. They just do it like, okay, here's what our staff likes throughout the week. And they just choose one thing and go. We were listening to everything. And then we would make the blurbs where they were actually like mini reviews within it. And it was so much work and effort. And it was easy to get burnt out. But I think going back to that excitement you said, I think is the reason is my driving force for my career is that when you click with something in a way where you become so passionate about it. And my favorite thing every single week was fighting with Scott over whether I sh we should include this one song or not. For him, he loved he loved everything, but he also, my blind spot was like acoustic music, folk, Americana, white yeah. girls with guitars, that whole thing. Yeah. I never really cared. It had to be really, really good. And half the time, I didn't care. So it'd just be him selling me on that. Right. And then it would just be me selling him on this weird fucking rap or punk song. And I'm like, listen to this. He's like, it sounds like everything else. So I was like, I don't care. There's something about it. And yeah. that was my favorite thing I loved. And I think, at least ideally, that's what music critics should do and showcase that passion and excitement <clears throat> both positive and, and negative um to guide other people yeah yeah no it's it, there's a yeah i mean there's definitely you know a post spotify feeling about the world and how like spotify has kind of been able to organize the listening habits of everyone um yeah. and and that's i don't know what do you what do you see as the effect on that? The acceptance of the kind of Spotify economy, the streaming economy, like how has that left us? It's not even that either. It's just streaming culture, I think, was part of it. Because streaming culture, for example, was the death of the blog era. Which, yep. by the way, 
everybody who would be listening to this, I'm pretty sure they already know, but if you don't already, check out the Blog Era podcast. It's in most in, one of the most incredible things in the world. It makes me emotional just thinking about it. Yep. But for streaming killed that. Streaming in some ways killed physical media, except for vinyl, which is strangely enough having a comeback. I think right. people are just now starting to kind of realize that there is an impermanence that comes with music that I think the complacency that streaming has given us has made us feel we we feel like we're um not vulnerable whatsoever we're indestructible but fact of the matter is at any point that album you found on Spotify that you love so much could be taken down the next day that for example there's a young buck mixtape that I'm obsessed with and I love and one day it was taken off of Spotify and I couldn't find it for a while. They only had like three songs on YouTube. Luckily, it ended up coming back. And then I realized I need to either find an MP3 for this or in nope. worst case scenario, rip it or something if I want to be able to keep this because that could happen again at any time. And right. I can I can only imagine so many other things that were lost in the sands of time through these things and i feel like the almost hoarding aspect of the blog era where people were so meticulous about their mp3s and their ipods and yep. hoarding all of this stuff in some ways has been lost because of how easily we can access music and then going off of that once algorithms started to get better, once you were able to just click on Spotify radio, Spotify radio, I will say, is like how I found a lot of amazing things. And I feel like that is one of the ways in which the implementation of this soft, of um, these algorithm stuff works really well, because then you could find other things that you really enjoy. But then obviously after a certain point, even the algorithm won't be able to, the algorithm can't keep up with me, for example. Right, because right. sometimes I'm struggling with myself I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Kanye West radio. Maybe find some old classics I missed. But with that, the algorithm wants to keep you on there. So it's still showing me 95% songs I already have in my library. Yeah. And a lot of other people have been complaining about this. So then you have to go onto another streaming service. Eventually, as they learn your habits, they just want to keep you as well. And you're stuck in a rut all over again. And then in some ways... I think some people who then experience that frustration slowly then revert back to that old habit of finding all these different, all these other avenues of um, consuming music. Right. And I think now we're dealing, we're seeing the effects of not just streaming culture, but TikTok and how it's affecting yes. music. Because I forgot who made that tweet, but I, it's literally made me so upset because I see that a lot now, even with people my age, where she it was a journalist talking to her like 12-year-old cousin and saying, hey, what, so what kind of music do you listen to? And she was like, um, I really like, I'm just going to name like an example, even though it's not exactly it. Like, I like um, Deep End by Fouché. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, that's fine. So, what else do you like? Um, I like that new Ray song, the one that's really popular on TikTok. Okay. Keep going. And found out that her cousin likes songs. 
but not even just songs, really just the 30 second disembodied part of the song that's on yeah. TikTok. But there's no incentive to then say, I like this Fouché song. Let me go find another Fouché. Let me go check out Fouché's entire discography. Let me check out Ray's entire discography. And I feel like that's why also so many of these TikTok artists, they have the one big hit, but very few are able to then capitalize off of it and do more because it goes back to that complacency. You just find the little part that you like, it sends the endorphins into your brain or it's getting shoved through you because of all these challenges and stuff. And then it, the record companies say, then everybody needs a TikTok song. Bo Megan made body. Right, right. All this stuff. Mm -hmm. Now they're just focusing on the one big hit that could go on the radio or be played for 30 seconds at the club or have a TikTok, um, a little TikTok challenge. And then it goes into the streaming, then it goes into the whole streaming thing. And we're basically back to square one where people don't want to, don't have the incentive to check out new music. And I, it's something that I think people still don't know how to fix exactly because you can't stop people from their listening habits or how they do things. And for me, as a professional in the music industry, the thing, the only thing I can really do is just continue to do what I'm doing and hope to reach the one curious person who will eventually, it will click in their brain that maybe they should check some other stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, this feed, your point feeds into something I had noticed journalistically that like, because we all registered like short attention spans are a thing, right? Um, people were trying to limit and reduce the length of pieces, right? So you ended up getting sites that were just blurbing all day, you know? And yeah. blurbs weren't weren't that earth shattering. They were pretty humdrum, right? Uh it's you know to to really blow someone away in 200 words is, is not an easy situation at all doing music reviews so it, basically and it's the same thing with music right you're like oh, now i'm making 30 second snippets you know they're short attention spans i'll feed this market the problem is it's not a market that allows for growth exactly so it's not you don't feed it you fight it yeah. You're going to have to fight it. You're not going to be able to partner with this. You're not going to be able to, you know, do what this does because it's a reduction game and you're going from 30 seconds to 20 seconds to 10 seconds. Like, no, we got to go the other way. We we, we got to get full songs, full albums. So, yeah. And not even that. I feel like a lot of these higher-ups that are in charge of these decisions – it's something that I struggled with. I'm in every single position I've ever held. I'm always the one who's going to put my foot down. Because at the end of the day, everybody cares about, for example, when at paper, people love the photo shoots. Those were a big draw for us. People loved the whole aesthetic and everything. But I feel like then after a certain point, the written word, it got lost in that. But does that mean I'm going to stop because 
people might only click on something just to see the pretty pictures. No. And I, or dealing with that with some places saying, but there's not really, people won't click on this. People don't really care about this sort of stuff. It, I've dealt with that not just at paper, but just everywhere. Um, luckily, I had a lot of autonomy um, in both of my jobs where even if they say like, hey, maybe this might not be too good of a thing, I still did it anyways just because I wanted to do it. I operated with like, until someone tells me to stop, I'm going to keep fucking doing what I'm doing. Right. And I, I feel like a lot of places don't trust people they don't trust the reader yep and i think with music too it's the same thing they just think everybody just wants to be fed content and content in this case is used in a very derogatory way um yeah. they just want something that will soothe their brains so they don't have to think about the bad shit or it's a good song that doesn't challenge them in any sort of way not to say that, like, everything needs to be some earth-shattering shit that's going to change the world, because I also feel like that's totally unnecessary. Not everything has to do that. But I feel like there's that lack of trust, because everybody's either operating on the idea that their audience are these smooth-brained imbeciles who mm -hmm. only care about these things, and if they try to read a long word or if they read more than another paragraph, their brains are going to explode and they're just going to be like, well, this is stupid. I hate this and click it. Right, not right, right. There might not be some people because as somebody who reads, unfortunately has to read comment sections and gets emails from people. There are very many people who are, who do that. So there are some people who like say, oh, like for my, I, when I interviewed Quadiga a couple right. A couple months ago some people say it's just too flowery and bullshitty but it's like his whole entire record is about grief and death and his own mental health of course we're going to get deep into it and that adds to it and everybody yeah. says like she didn't even use any fucking big words dude they, like luckily people are pushing back on it like are you yeah. just stupid but then on the other hand there are some people who operate at too high of a perceived taste level or a high horse which i also right. really right. hate and which yeah, is why yeah. i distance myself in many ways from a lot of these things because yeah, yeah. i think like i said not everything has to save the world i see so much value in not just pop music but in rap music i don't necessarily think one is more superior than the other or if, or one artist because they talk about certain themes is superior to the other and i think a lot of media is trying is still chasing that balance because also unfortunately going back to the powers that be even though advertising dollars and all that stuff is very important the audience is very important too you don't want to lose them and the audience if you do anything they will make sure that you know about it yep. if and they'll always get mad about something or because they want to stay they they want they want to be safe right. they're like i i go to you for if I'm going to Paste Magazine every single day to find out about what happened with Brandy Carlisle yesterday and see that, I want to keep it that way. Why do you have a gangster rapper on the front page? Right. And, you know, it trigger it, it, it might trigger something in their brain, but I think, I think at the end of the day, there needs to be that balance of coverage. And I... 
I don't necessarily know how well it will do monetarily, but at the, after a certain point, I've just been operating off of what I feel in my heart. And that is trusting people enough to be able to consume these things thoughtfully and rationally and intelligently. And if they don't want to, that's also cool too. They could find other stuff that they like as well and feel represented. But I, I see, I definitely see value in both. But the last thing I want is when I notice that a website or something operates under the assumption that their audience is stupid, which pisses right. me off. Right. And, but, but in terms of highfalutin, my favorite, because the blog era was amazing for that. Like writers, like comparing rappers to Proust and stuff and just really going, you know, full Ivy League education on it. Um, and my favorite, I always bring this up. No one remembers this, but you will. Coke Machine Glow. Do you remember Coke Machine Glow? Don't think so, no. Oh, my God. I'm a baby. So the, oh, there's also that. <laughs> Coke Machine Glow was this website completely dedicated to going, like, right up its own butt with coverage. There was, like, a Supreme Clientele review where this guy, like, did, like, a running diary, and it went for, like, days. He was just in gonzo <laughs> journalism, and it was amazing. But you, you, I always went there because you never knew what kind of crazy thing they were going to be doing. You know, like um, that's awesome. There was value in that. They were going, they were going for it. You know, um, and yeah. But but to your, to your, I I always wanted what I did to be straightforward. Uh, you know, for, I was tired of reading reviews where I didn't know if they liked it at the end. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like an independent film that ends with the main character like staring off into the distance. You know. <laughs> It's an open road, you know? It's like, no, no, do you like it? Because I, I need to know what's going on. Um, so that was, you know, yeah, I wanted to be straightforward. But um, there's all kinds of great stuff. And, and by the way, the blog era, I want to be on the Snow to Product episode. There's a Snow to Product episode. You got to you gotta tell them. I want to, I better be on the Danny Brown episode, so we'll, we better make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for years, Kay, I would be at these house parties and people would be doing that. This was back red solo cups and people were like, there's no good female rappers, you know? And I was just, I was just shaking my fist. Just like, you've never heard of snow, the product. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. Um, mm. Yep. But yeah, that's, that's, fucking dope. that's my pitch there. Um, but yeah, well, the, the first, my first question, one of the first things I want to talk to you about was, like the the interview feature, the interview slash feature is something you do very elegantly. And I've always been afraid of it uh, because the writer posts the interview as well as the description of the conversation. And if that context isn't aligned properly, really bad things can happen. Uh, what do you find are the key points of focus when you're doing a written interview that is a feature where you're going to be kind of swimming in and out of describing the conversation. Hmm. I think the one big thing for me, I've gotten more comfortable with it over time, is setting the scene. I think more than anything, as time has gone on, I have approached interviews with artists, which um, for the purpose of this conversation, even though I talk to a bunch of different kinds of people, I mainly talk to artists, so that's what I'll be talking about here. 
people don't care about what the fucking music sounds like. And I hate that whenever my editors would say, include a little bit more about what the song is. Because I'm like, the, half the people who are going to be reading this have already heard the song. 100%. The only time maybe it's yeah. different is if it's an unreleased thing. Otherwise, I want to get them to know the artists themselves and the headspace that they're in and the time that we are both speaking and the time that when they were recording, all that stuff. I want to be able to set that so you can immerse yourself in that. And I think setting the time and place is definitely very interesting. There's one that I'm publishing soon with Tony Schnell. And hopefully by the time maybe this goes up, it might be up by then. Um, But it's, I'm the whole beginning is a scene set because when I was visiting them, we were supposed to go to a record store, but the record store closed. So they found another record store and turns out the record store was not really one. It was a tchotchke shop and they had a lot of toys. There was a guy at the front who was doing a live sale of Funko Pops on like Facebook, rare Funko Pops. And Tony walks in and I'm like, cool, I'm, let's look around a little bit. And I thought he was going to go to the records. I didn't care about the records because it's all like what Barbara Streisand and yeah. um, just a bunch of Chick Corea and all that stuff. Mm. And I'm like, do you like toys? He's like, yeah, they're pretty cool. And I say, come with me. And I take him to the back and there's a wall of Beanie Babies. And he gets so excited. And he, I spend the next 10 minutes helping him pick the perfect Beanie Baby to get for his mother and his grandmother. And I think setting that scene is um, like one of the most important things. Same when I was interviewing Max O'Cream, I talk about how he was this like big, tough, scary guy. The first couple times we met, he barely said a single word to me. And I slowly broke through him. And the first thing I asked him when we finally chatted was, let me see your dogs. Because I heard them in the background. And the next thing I know, this big, scary man has these two tiny little french bulldog puppies and he's like petting them and like bring them up to kiss me on the camera and telling me their names and it's like completely disarms me that's awesome and i want to be able to translate that i think that's definitely a big thing and just providing because i feel like artists get enough pr i want to give them more a lot of my stuff is positive at the end of the day there's some things where like i obviously like try to respectfully broach certain subjects that might not necessarily be good to talk about um but i try to approach them in such a way that it's still respectful of everybody involved Mm. but i think another big thing is really showing that that other side of the artist that nobody would really get from it that's one thing that's one thing i try to do in every single profile because i hate when i read a profile and it's exactly what I expected. Oh, I yes. It's something where I'm surprised. So I just, I do that myself. So a lot of people reached out to me after my Freddie Gibbs interview because they're like, holy shit, I didn't know that he's like this. And he's next thing you know, talking to me about ethical non-monogamy and no. everything. There was a lot more that was cut from that conversation, which was absolutely insane. But I was like, I, I'm going to get in trouble. He doesn't, he, he wouldn't care. I would get in trouble. Yeah. Um, but I, but yeah, stuff like that, I really, really like. And I think at the end of the day, the biggest challenge that comes with writing a feature is, and I, and I like that challenge sometimes is when you're talking to somebody who's had a million pieces written on them, how do you stand out? Yeah. And 
for me, one thing I pride myself on is how I'm able to really get to the most vulnerable parts of a subject. Um, I, Dominic Fike once told me that I interview like a therapist. And as time has gone on, I've realized I definitely do. And I like that. And I've been really using that because I've been through shitloads of therapy in my time. And nice. it helps me get some really good, interesting things because I'm not I'm not interested in the whole how would you link up with this producer unless it's like some crazy story. I'm more interested oh. in what were you what were you doing when you were driving 45 minutes to the studio each and every day alone with your thoughts because you didn't know that if the record would be good or not. Like yeah. those I mean, small moments. The 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 questions like. How did you get your name, Cakes Tequila? Why are you so mean to Cakes? <laughs> Stop. I'm going to tell him that. Stop hurting the cakes. Uh, I got that piece, by the way. That was an amazing piece. Thank you. Uh, fascinating career. Uh, great album, that last album. Incredible. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's, it's what you said is kind of, is really important. You, you want to, you're covering the person about their music. Right, the person who's clicking on that and reading the interview, they've already heard Freddie Gibbs. They've already likely heard the new album. What they want to know is about Freddie and about Freddie's quirks that helped this album come together. Exactly. Right. So and, the, and then I, I had a quick question. So when you're interviewing like an artist, what is your relationship with the label? Does the label have any involvement? Any say? And like the topics you can cover or like how they want to steer it or. So I am, there's only been like a handful of times in my life where I'm interviewing somebody and the per the publicist or the label, whoever tells me ahead of time, Hey, just so you know, we're not going to talk about this. For example, like in a less like dire situation, I was talking to Channel Trace and they were like, oh, by the way, a lot of the music you heard is not stuff anybody else has heard that might not even be on the final album. So how about we focus strictly on him? Don't talk about the record that much, except for maybe these two singles because of that. And if mm -hmm. that's the case, I'm like, okay, I'll respect that because what's the use of talking about stuff that nobody would ever hear? Yep. In other cases, it's other things. Like when I was like when I did our ice um our ice spice cover, they were like, hey, just be mindful like don't ask her questions about like her dating life and i was like ew i never wanted to in the first place right right right, right like, yeah. don't ask her what her hair routine is and i was like yeah like no i'm not going to i'm not going to do that and i understand why um because there's so many people i'm not going to name names who do exactly that they just want oh. to get to, like cut right to the like right to the jugular and ask mm. disgusting voyeuristic questions so sometimes depending on the subject they will give me a heads up ahead of time and say hey don't talk about this or that especially if there's like a big controversy otherwise they don't and and for the most part i i don't i just operate because i'm i think i'm a good person and mm. i feel like i know pretty well here are things that I shouldn't probably talk about, or if I do want to talk about very controversial things, I approach it in a certain way, like with Freddie and his whole entire case. I didn't want to necessarily bring it up, but 
the way that I guided the questions, eventually he brought it up himself. And I found out he was willing to talk about it. We didn't speak too much on it, but he was willing to be open with me. I'm not going to straight up ask him. So tell me what it was like in jail. Right, like, right. If you're I, you never do that. If you're considerate and you're engaging in a conversation, that person will give you information you should have. You know? Exactly. About that conversation. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, I don't... I unless like it's like a really controversial person then sometimes i will then ask the publicist really quick is there anything off limits or anything i should be wary of nine times out of ten they'll say no otherwise like oh yeah that whole thing that happened last week don't talk about it and i'm like okay that's fine there's other things i could talk about yeah no it's uh okay i picture in my mind that there was like a white journalist who went up to Ice Spice and was like, "Can I touch your hair?" That has definitely was... happened. I bet. Oh, my definitely God. happened. It never stops, Kay. It never stops. It never stops. These so-called fucking journalists. That's a conversation for another day. Yep. <laughs> now we're at the fun part because we we've got lots of interesting things. It's been an interesting year in music. Uh, so. As someone who gets advances and then watches the album's natural drop, can you think of an album this year you were really excited about where you looked, where the narrative that happened when it came out, you were like, I didn't see that coming. That, you know, that went a different way than I thought. Um, hmm. Negatively or positive? Let me think. I think the hmm. I think the one that I didn't expect to take on a life of its own as much as it had was Danny Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia scaring the hose. Yep. Cause I was the I remember the first time Danny ever showed it to me. We were on Discord. He's like, go on video. Peggy was over at his house. He put me on, he was like, okay, anybody join? I was the only one who joined because nobody else knew how to work Discord. And he was <laughs> showing it. He and Peggy were in the studio playing it. But it was so loud that the mic didn't pick up anything. So I'm just in the chat and trying to scream, Danny, I can't hear shit. And he's like shaking his ass and stuff. He does not yeah. care. After like four songs, he's like, He's out of breath and he's like, how do you like it so far? And I was like, I didn't hear a single thing. He's like, shit, hangs up on me. Three days later, he's call, he calls us all again. He's like, go into this room. I will play it for you. And he had the whole SoundCloud thing and was showing yeah. it to us. And I thought, this is pretty cool. And right. I, I really, really enjoyed it. But I did not think it would... I mean, I, I know like they're just a recipe for success, but I didn't sure. expect how much of a critical how much critical acclaim it got and it's incredible i think ha like a lot of the tour dates are so close to selling out or have sold out already in terms of hmm, negative ones oh i have one the lil yachty album i love that mm -hmm. record mm -hmm. i'm biased back in december they called all they um so for people who are unaware Press yep. people will get invited to listenings. There are different kinds. So there's listening parties, which is like they bring everybody over. The artist says, hey, what's up? Check out my album. Right. Bye. But then there are like actual like 
really exclusive album listenings. And in this case, I don't, I forgot who the man was, but we went to his high rise apartment. It's me and like four or five other people. They've got pizzas. Lil Yachty's team is there. And I came in, was like, oh, okay, it's just going to be a Lil Yachty record. I'm just going to turn up a little bit. It'll be fine. Yep. They were like, nobody prepared me for anything. And I remember them putting it on, immediately hearing like that, like all the drums and the guitars and stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? Lil right. and Yachty is obviously, he's a very awkward person. He's so sweet. He's kind of awkward. He's walking in and out. It was a very tiny studio apartment. And where we were sitting, the guy had these big speakers. There was a little terrace. Yachty was going in and out of the terrace, talking to his um, <clears throat> talking to his manager, peeking through the window, seeing everybody. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, yeah, okay, this is... Like, as time has gone on, it just, like, started to blow my mind more and more. It was, like, incredible. The And I think, I don't know, there was also a lot of things going on in my life from, like, you know, my... I was just in a weird emotional space in my life because a lot of bad shit was happening to me. Right. And it was such a beautiful record, and it caught me completely off guard. And we had this long conversation afterward. It was just him and I, and... um just talking about the space he was in when he made the record. There's some stuff that I'm not even going to say because I'm still holding out for me to interview him. We're planning on it, and I still would love to because I feel like we had a really good rapport. But I was like, this record's going to fucking change the world. Well, not necessarily, but I'm like, this record is amazing. I was even texting my all my friends and my boyfriend, everybody, this, we need to, you need to listen to this. You need to listen to this. Right, right. And when it came out, seeing how many people despised it mm-hmm. was such a shock to me because they all felt like it was kind of a caricature of this, of the music that he was trying to pay homage to and create, even right. though I could see it as that. And it was really interesting to me. And, you know, even as music critics, sometimes we also hate criticism. (laughs) And I was getting really defensive over this record because I said, like, at least for me, I did not see any of that sort of caricature stuff or that he was hated rap music. So he was then going to try and become a white rock musician or whatever, like stuff like that. Like there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on, even though I also feel like with a lot of the discourse, I can only say so much about it because obviously sure. I am, I do not come from these certain communities. Right, right. Uh, right. So <laughs> I definitely understood that, even though at least for me, my own perception of it, I felt completely differently. It was very interesting to me. But yeah, that one caught me really off guard. I I swore it'd be kind of like a critical success. But for right. what it's worth, I'm surprised his fans really loved it. Because I thought they would be kind of upset about how the whole thing went. But I think he's developed that relationship with his fans where he, we spoke about that, like he could trust them. He knows like, if they know me really well, they'll know that this is a logical, the next logical step for me. Yeah, no, I I thought of the Yachty when I formulated the question, because I know how, I know how hard you were going for that. I listened to it because you recommended it. Um, and, and I'm not like, I was there with the little boat mixtape. I was rocking the little boat mixtape. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that. Um, so I saw the progression, uh, and the struggles and I've talked to people who really hate Yachty, 
like in a serious, seriously strange way. And like, um, and I think there are some people who are just going to hate whatever Yachty does. Um, yeah. But the, the only holdback for me about that album was, and I saw it on the SNL performance when he performed on Saturday Night Live, like he was like sitting on the piano while the singers are singing and the band is banding. And I'm like, how much of what we love about this album is Yachty, you know? Um, definitely. And I, I understand, and I understand that. I think it's definitely a sum of its parts for what it's worth. At least when we spoke, I forgot exactly how the whole crediting thing worked. Because I know there was also that whole entire drama where that somebody said, are the instrument, like, are the, will the band be credited as much as Yachty is? Because this isn't really his record. Because he got the guy from Unknown Mortal Orchestra. He had Fouché. He had, I forgot the other singers on it. He had um Tizo touchdown everybody it was a big it was a big thing and I think more than anything it it's it was definitely I I see it kind of like a passion project and I think he's a small part of why it's amazing because at the end of the day yeah like he wasn't the one who was laying down those guitar tracks and stuff um yeah definitely I I do I do agree with that um and I do and I do think it goes into how people consume music nowadays and how people think, oh, because this one person's name is on it, right? they're the one who had full creative control. They don't think to look at who was the one who was executive producing it, who was the one who was laying down all the tracks and mixing everything and scouting all this talent together. For what's worth, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Liotti told me that he was friends with already a lot of these people. And was already a fan of them and wanted to collaborate with them. So yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think people are so used to rap music that their notion of authorship is a little bit off, because like if you're making music that that exists within the form of a band, like it's gonna be it's gonna have to be shared in that sense. Um, but to to get to music here, because and I want to talk to you about rock music because. Rock music to me is in the worst shape of it, just about any genre. Um, it's I love what reggae is doing right now. I love there's a lot of great metal, like there's a lot of great whatever. But rock music, it, what is your favorite rock album of 2023? Do you have something that I've missed? I'm trying to think here. Let me hold on. Let me look because we have one. Like. I, basically what because a lot of the records that i'm thinking of were from last were from last year yeah i think yeah um has there been anything it's not really a rock record it's a little bit of everything but obviously oh i have one um and it's a touchy one because of who he is and what happened but the slow tie record i think was excellent oh okay okay and i think you know, there's a couple missteps on there, but I think it's such, in a very strangely, I don't want to necessarily say poetic, more of a prophetic way, it's definitely such a troubled portrait of somebody that it's almost like what happened was almost like it was in the back of his mind as he was making this, gripping with a lot of his demons. My favorite song on that record, Happy, it brings me, like, it gives me chills every time I listen to it. It's probably, it's my favorite, it's one of my favorite songs of the year. And 
it's just all about how he's just so depressed. It literally opens with the phrase, thinking with my dick. Because he's like, just gra- like the whole record is just him grasping with addiction and sex addiction and all that yeah. stuff. And, you know, it's a very taboo thing. We don't really want to talk about that because of what he recently, the terrible shit that he's yeah. um has yeah. allegedly done. I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything. Yeah. But certainly that, yeah. I think it that's the only one I had can... a very Don Draper feel to it. Like, you know, I, I stopped watching Mad Men because I couldn't hang out with Don Draper anymore. Like, I've, <laughs> yep, like, I've heard that a lot. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It, it's great. Like, but I can't, I can't hang out with this person, you know? Um, <laughs> that was what happened with Slow Time. I was a big, I was a big fan. And then I was like, can't, I can't hang out with this. Yeah, after, after a certain time, like you start, to, like you could tell, yeah, how much of what they're talking about is might not be, um, just for the art's sake. I because I dealt with that with daughters. I was a big daughters fan, and as time went on, even though I like st- I stuck it out till the end, I started to like just seeing the shows and hearing people talk about. Um, um, Alexis as a person, yep. a lot of stuff was starting to get kind of murky for me. That by the end of it, I kind of had to separate myself. And then when all the allegations came out of him being a terrible person, I said, like, it in a sad way, there were so many pe- fans who said, I kind of saw this coming through mm-hmm. the music, through what he was talking about. A lot of it was a lot more autobiographical than they probably wanted to believe. That that brings up a question. Like, how do you separate the narrative from the the music itself? Because I feel like, you know, in the 90s, I'm, you know, and we're we're talking about rock music. I'm sure rock musicians were doing a lot of bad things in the 90s as well, in the 80s and whatever. So, how in the, what, what decade are we in the 2020s? How do you separate that narrative? Because, I mean, nowadays we know pretty much everything about it. not everything about an artist but there's not a lot of mystery in terms of artists anymore you know what i mean Definitely. so how do you how do you delineate the two or do you, or do you even delineate the two for me for me personally i try to it's like a it's a weird thing you know obviously that separating the art from the artist can only work so much until after a certain point you have to step back I think, as you said, it complicates things when we know so much about pe- these artists already. And in some ways, even if they're not very good people, it's still the internet creates these parasocial relationships where some artists can't do anything wrong because they're my friend, because they post on Instagram every day. And sometimes they go on live and sometimes they say hi to me. So how can they ever do anything bad? So obviously there's that whole entire thing i think it really it's a lot harder now because like as you said social media and i think that the culture has definitely changed where people are holding these people more to more of a standard but yeah i think it's something that's still really difficult to do and there's a line where you can't expect me to right like if there's a folk singer who has beautiful love songs and then they kill and eat their girlfriend i don't have to separate the art from the artist right like i'm i'm free of that you know that's like the the cosby level right where you're like i don't have to go back i don't have to relitigate i'm you know i'm free and clear to just not separate that 
Uh, but that's, mm. I think that's, everybody's got that different level, you know? Exactly. And I think that part of it is like social media has definitely made it so that the lines have become blurred to the point where certain things are held to the same intensity or level as other things. And obviously everybody has their own max for what they will and won't tolerate. But for me, like after a certain point, it's become, oh, this person cheats on their girlfriends a lot. And I'm like, that is not as serious of an offense as some other things. Um, and because it just dilutes what these words mean, because words have power. And but yeah, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, but it's so my rock album, by the way, I will tell you, is Alex Leahy's The Answer is Always Yes uh, from Australia. Uh, it's it's not heavy. It's pop music, but it's pop rock. It, you know, like as someone who grew up in the '90s, we used to have rock music on the radio that was pop music. Um, it wasn't dance music. It wasn't, you know, uh, post Max Martin mathematics. It was like, it was you know rock music that was that was hooky and fun. Uh, yeah. This is a breakup album that's hooky and fun and and. Cool. So I, I just, I've always loved your stuff. I'm going to definitely check that out. Yeah, I haven't listened to a lot of rock albums, honestly, over no. the past. Yeah, I, I don't think I have. And a lot of the ones I can think of are all from <laughs> last year. And I think I've yeah. just been living in my own bubble. Because honestly, though, yeah, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of good rock music out, unfortunately. No, no, it's... it's We're in the trenches. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Um, and... By the way, anybody listen to this who feels like you missed something, send it to me, please. Uh, but the, so to go broader here, what is your favorite album of 2023 so far? Crap. I don't know, honestly. I think. Oh, there's there's one. I mean, there's a couple. I'm I'm hold on I'm looking through my Spotify to make sure I don't miss anything otherwise so I think the I have a few they're kind of tied all together as one yeah one of them is Kalela's Raven oh my absolutely God. Yeah. stunning yep. record I I didn't expect anything less from it honestly I always loved her but that record's incredible, especially Closure. is It's oh. one of my favorite songs of the year. Yes. And Gabor, who, if I'm not mistaken, is also from Jersey. Like I, It's just amazing. And I it's, think yeah. Kalela does such a great job of making such beautiful, sensual yep. dance music. And just everything she does, it's just done so effortlessly. I love her. And then another one that I really love, obviously, Scaring the Hose. I'm very impartial to that. Um, I love Danny. I love yeah. Peggy. They're all yeah. amazing. And that record is so fun, especially Fentanyl Tester, because in a, I think it was that one. If it was not that one, it was, or I forgot if it was that one or a different one, but it was like a ghetto tech song. And I, when yeah. I told Danny that, he got so excited. He's like, I'm glad somebody saw it, because like Danny was like trying to get <laughs> Just trying to teach Peggy all about like stuff from coming out of Detroit. Um, and I love that one. And then another one, which is a much lesser known artist, but someone I feel really um, close to is Angelo Moda, who is a local um, artist, even though he just recently moved. Angelo Moda, I changed my mind. It's such a stunning record. 
And it's kind of hard to explain. Like I found him at such an interesting time in my life, just on Spotify and realizing he was close to me. And we only met each other like a twice in the last month of him living here when we realized we lived so close to each other. And, you know, just being able to connect with him over this music, it's been incredible. He makes amazing, it's not even necessarily, it's like kind of like R&B, hip hop. It's like a true labor of love. There was so much, I don't even know how to explain it. And his voice is just absolutely incredible. And it touches on so many different things from like the, his anxiety. Because if I'm not mistaken, the whole entire reason for the title was he wanted to quit music but then he's like i changed my mind let's let's find it let's release it fine and it's almost like a desperate last chance at making music this is his last shot and i think it's such a gorgeous r&b hip-hop record that i think a lot of people need to check out at least once he's like he's gonna be he's gonna be fucking huge that's all i have to say he's gonna be fucking huge i just i just added it i'm, I'm gonna be on it tomorrow uh, oh, thank you. Tell me what. It, tell me, and I'll let him know. The Raven is the Khalil album is so. It's so passionate, but it's so icy. The feeling yeah. of it, it's just that mixture is what I think has hypnotized me, like throughout the year. That can't get away from the album. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, so I'm with you. Uh, hey, do you have anything else before we go to recommendation corner? No, no. Oh man, recommendation corner. Um, exciting. The uh, start with a story. My son came back and he was like, I know, like, because he, he heard me uh, in a conversation with someone talking about, oh, LGBTQ issues. And he was like, LGBTQ, what is that? And then I started describing. He's like, oh, I know what that is. You know, I know, I know about Harvey Milk. And he's nine. I'm like, sure. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Like, sure, man. What is what does these letters mean? You know, uh, and we went through it, and when we got to T, he had two guesses for what T meant that are amazing. First guess was Tom. <laughs> people called Tom, which I think is cool that people called Tom with sexual uh, gender uh, identity. And so the other one was tomorrow, tomorrow people, which is pretty cool. Mm. Uh, that's that's pretty cute. Cool. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. So it's it's fun being a dad. But um, so, and I was talking, okay, last year, so I have been a lifelong anti-Vince Staples person. I don't understand what's so important, yada, yada. Last year, Ramona Park shattered that in pieces. Ramona Park <laughs> blew me away, still listening to it all the time. So now I'm doing, playing catch-up. <laughs> I'm playing catch-up and going back in and Oh my God, Prima Donna from 2016. Uh, it's it's short, but it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, there's so much. You think Ramona Park Broke My Heart was a key album. It's one of those albums that opened the door for everything. And now I can see all the cool shit. So, uh, and Dylan was right. We had Dylan Green on and he was like, that Vince album before Ramona Park he was slept on. He's absolutely right. That self-title. That, that, that album's beautiful, too. So, yeah. I would say Vince Staples' Prima Donna uh, is a recommendation for me. Let's see what 
else is out. I I can't believe you have been off the Vince. You you've never been on the Vince Staples train until recently. That's insane to me. I was I was an old school blog dude, and I was like, you know, I was all about J Rock, and I was all about you know. He just felt like someone coming out of the West that I didn't understand the hype around. Um, but I I do now. I, I am I am more <laughs> safe at this point. Um, I remember when Hell when Hell Can Wait came out, I was like 15. Yeah. 15 or 16 years old. And I remember like telling him when I met him all about it. It was the only interview. I've only, there's only been like three times in my life where I've genuinely been terrified to interview somebody to the point of tears. And he yeah. was one. And I was so nervous. And then I told him, I was like, dude, I've been listening to you since I was like fucking 14 years old. And he was like, that's crazy. Wow. Okay. And then it was yeah. like, he's such a fascinating person. He's so incredible. Uh, but Ramona Park broke my heart. When Sparks Fly is like one of the most beautiful songs oh. I've ever heard in my entire life. It makes me want to cry every time I hear it. No, it's incredible. And and the other one, by the way, I will go with Gay Scuivera, uh, Goyard Coming Exordium. Uh, That's my boy. Goyard even say, said, uh, it's, what he's going, it's, it's nine songs. What I think is so cool about, about gays is that I think we have this thought that, like, if you're a politically minded rapper, then you're, like, professorial in a way. You're, like, teaching people. Uh, and Gase turns the hell up. It's fun. His music is fun. Uh, it's awesome. It has real energy to it. And it's smart. Uh, and I, I can't wait for what's coming down the line. Uh, yeah, fearless. Fearless individual. Definitely. And if you like that, you should um, also definitely check out um, McKinley Dixon's new record, Beloved Paradise Jazz. Oh. And Geis is on that one as well. And it's a yeah. um, gorgeous gorgeous beautiful record can't believe i didn't recommend that that's a great point that hey if you have not heard mckinley dixon you need to do that uh beloved paradise jazz uh mckinley dixon mckinley dixon makes like long songs that are like sweets you know uh <laughs> he's got hanif abdul rakib reading tony morrison it's just a real immersive experience um and yeah, it's it's a very talented individual. Thank you for that. That was a great shot. Absolutely. What are you recommending? Um, no new music. You know what? I did go back to. Uh, funny, it's funny they we're talking about rock music. I did go back to Sheryl Crow's debut album. Wow. Uh, that I mean that's that's the only new new piece of well new to me piece of music I've, I've listened to recently i have been going to the basement and pulling cds out and just ripping them and like yeah once i found out because there's a store called bull moose music jade in around here oh amazing they have these bags these paper bags of just cds that you can buy for a dollar and you get all kinds of cds uh and i buy these bags all the time so i pulled out like the spin doctors album <laughs> <laughs> I loved that Spin Doctors record. I think Jimmy Olsen's Blues is like one of my favorite 90s songs of all time. And I I, I we put I put two princes back in the car and saying Manufu at random times. Uh just it's just ridiculous. Uh but it's it's a good time. So 
Um, yeah. Kay recommends gambling. Uh, fearless, <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's 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 been great. What are, do you have any other recommendations, Jade? Have you been reading anything? Have you been doing anything still? Trying to think about some recommendations. In terms of music, some old favorites and new stuff that I always want to like get on my soapbox about is three records specifically. First one um, is Young Buck, Straight Out of Cashville, mainly because I recently wrote about it. Young Buck was probably my favorite of G Unit. Everybody gets weird about about me, but I have a soft spot for Southern rap. That's like my bread and butter. Yeah, I love well, it. And that record is just incredible. All of his records are incredible. That and Buck the World are like two of my all-time favorite records. But I I think it's just like let me in. I've just been revisiting that over and over again because I'm like, I can't believe that's his debut single. And it's like the most incredible thing I've ever heard in my life. It still sounds amazing. And seeing that whole that earth, that like window shattering bass and those punches that are like so familiar in a lot of um, like stuff coming out of it, like Atlanta and Louisiana and stuff at the time. It, and I, I love that record. Um, I also think I want to give a shout out to my wonderful friend, Static Dress. They are an incredible post-hardcore band. If you love wow. like old school Deftones and Glassjaw specifically, Glassjaw is my, one of my all-time favorite bands. Um, they gave me the same gut feeling I got the first time I ever heard Glassjaw. And they're just absolutely incredible. They have a remix album coming out, actually, um, later on this year. And they recently got signed. But their album last year, Rouge Carpet Disaster, is so excellent. And I highly recommend people check it out if they're into that stuff. And I also really think Anxious's Little Greenhouse is an amazing feat in, like, emo, um, kind of, like, emo pop poppy emo sort of stuff reminds me of this one band i adored growing up not really growing up it was i was just i was in high school i don't know why i said that bay faction mm -hmm. was a really amazing band coming out of boston at the time mm -hmm. and i they gave me that same feeling but yeah little greenhouse one of my favorite records mm -hmm. from last year if you are feeling shitty about the state of rock music mm -hmm. i think anxious anxious is one of like the best ones right now um but yeah and then, otherwise, I'm trying to think. The new season of It's Always Sunny Philadelphia is coming out, and it's my favorite show. Yes. So I'm rewatching the whole entire thing. Yeah, and yeah. I think the new episodes already came out, so I'm going to sit down and watch that. But I love It's Always Sunny Philadelphia, so I recommend everybody watch it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. It's, um, that's awesome. I did not know that. That's cool. Um, yeah, I've been reading Son of the City by Dante Ross. The cool thing, and I was, I'm, I'm in the early part of the book, but one of the things I love is that Dante spends just as much time like really analyzing the people in his neighborhood when he was 11 years old as he does the rap people later, you know? Um, and, and it really gives you the sense of a life lived. Like, um, it's not... He doesn't skip to the to the celebrity parts of the thing. He's really, he's like, that was an important friendship, and I miss that person. And it's really sincere. There's a sincerity to it. Impactful. Um, wow, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. 
thank you, all the pat Patreon people, all the patrons, all the people in the free space checking stuff out. Uh, it's so surprising when the numbers go up. It's so cool, and we've got so much to look forward to out there. Uh, stay tuned. Ah!